0: What is everybody? And welcome to the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host Adam Mades. We have a great slate for you because every game last night had something interesting about it. To help me talk about it, I've got Tim Legler. Legs, how you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm great. It was there was you know good slate of games, like a lot
1: of games, and three that I was really looking forward to. I thought you know should be all very competitive <laughs> games, and we didn't really get a single really important possession in the last. Uh, four right. or five minutes, any of those three games, and we're going to cover all of them. So let's get into it.
0: Those games are going to be the Wolves and the Clippers. Wolves kind of a statement win on the road over the Clippers. We're going to talk about the Warriors-Jazz. I know we talked about the Warriors yesterday, Yesterday, but they got another impressive win so we have to talk about it and then the bucks defense shows up against the nuggets or is it that the nuggets offense didn't show up against the bucks we'll we'll talk about that and then at the end of the show we're going to run through these slates of games we'll also talk about predicting who is going to be the one seed in the western conference but first, we are presented, as always, by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALL NBA. Because life's more fun when you're on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See draftkings.com for details. We start legs with this win the Wolves got in Los Angeles, the late game last night, one twenty one to one hundred, and it was fueled by an impressive bully ball stretch to end the third quarter and to start the fourth quarter, where the Clippers. Love to go small, test out their small lineup where they can spread you out and play one-on-one. Did not work because the Wolves' defense snuffed it out and really put the clamps on, and then on the offensive end, just bully-balled them. I think the statement moment for me was Gobert dunking right over Kawhi Leonard in in the post. That was a play that happened in the third quarter that was sort of indicative to me of what stood out about this game, but what stood out to you about it? Yeah, it's crazy
1: because what you're talking about—that stretch was about started at about the four and a half minute mark of the third quarter, and the quarter was pretty tight to that point. But it ended up Minnesota outscored them forty to nineteen in the third quarter because of what happened at the end of the quarter. And you're right, it was straight force. It's all it was. And and if there was a game that I would watch, uh, had watched Minnesota play this year, where I was most impressed, that might have been it last night because mm. that looked like a team. That you could see now making a serious run in the Western Conference. And, and and look, I've got, you know, I've got doubts. I've got a little bit of doubt about them just because, you know, they they haven't really pushed through like those key moments in a playoff series together. And they're gonna probably get somebody really good right away because of the way the Western Conference is laid out and the way some of these teams that are gonna be, you know, in that five through eight are gonna be really good, super talented teams. That just have not had you know the regular season that they that you would expect. So I've had doubts about him. Well, I didn't have any doubt about what I saw last night. That was that was just straight up dominating the guy in front of you. And and you know the play you're talking about with, that, with Gobert was kind of indicative. That was like the, the 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 stamp for the game. And he caught it in the middle of the lane or like a flash from the weak side. And Kawhi was right there. Kawhi is one of his strongest wings in this league. He's immovable, really, when he plants his both feet into the ground, either end. Like, you're not moving that guy. And Gobert caught it. Kawhi was right there, chested him up, and Gobert just hit him with a shoulder in the middle of his chest, knocked him backwards, and then just went up and threw it down on him. And the bench reaction was sensational, and it was just like – Absolutely a statement of force against the Clippers. And it wasn't just that. It was Carl Anthony Towns, I thought, played yep. with force the entire night. Yep. I thought Anthony Edwards played with force. I thought Nas Reed played with force. Um, they just looked bigger, stronger, and better than the Clippers were, at least last night. You know, you certainly this isn't a seven-game series. I get it. And the Clippers have been one of the hottest teams in the league. I just was so impressed with the physicality of the Timberwolves and the way that they took it to the Clippers. Now I'll say this real quick. My final thought before, before you go, you know, we look at numbers sometimes and and you say, Oh wow. You know, Minnesota really, really shut them down and clamped them down defensively because the Clippers shoot 40% from the field, nine of 28 from the three, they score a hundred points. I'm telling you, if you go back and really want to watch it again, the Clippers missed a ton of good shots in this game, and including in that stretch where it got away from them, they were getting right. clean looks. Um, they had a couple, you know, that were probably not great decisions, but it wasn't like they were getting suffocated. They they didn't they went through a stretch where they didn't shoot well. So what was more impressive about it for me from the Timberwolves standpoint than their defense against the Clippers? It was the way they were operating offensively against a good team. Uh, the good defensive team in the Clippers, who have that ability to turn up the heat against you, they couldn't stop them during that stretch. Yeah. They just could not stop them. The Minnesota yes. got whatever they wanted to. So, uh, yeah, man, listen. If, if there's a game you wanted to watch all year and to, to, for the Timberwolves to state their case about who they are and what damage they they might do, that was it. I think.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you. This was a great game to watch. If you want to get to know why people would buy the the Timberwolves, this was a good example of it because they won in the ways that I think are, you know, if they're going to win in the playoffs, they're going to win these ways. But I'm going to disagree with you, though, about the shots, because you are right that there were some open looks he missed. And there's no question that there were some shots in that run that the Clippers would like to have back. Paul George, off the top of my head, had a wide open right wing three that is one of his favorite shots and it didn't go down. But I thought Minnesota successfully disrupted any rhythm that they had on offense, really all game, but especially in that stretch. And the number that sticks out to me is the uh, points in the paint. They won that battle 64-42. to And you know, oftentimes, the three-pointer, when it's not falling, do you have something else? Are you putting pressure on and then getting kickouts and getting this or that? I thought that Gobert made a huge impact in this game on even guys like Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, who are very good at getting downhill and getting to the rim. I thought even those guys had multiple possessions especially in that stretch where they started beat the first line of defense and saw Gobert coming over and it just hesitated ended up taking a mid-range or circling back and you know so I thought that when you disrupt the rim pressure even if you're getting open shots they're just a little bit less in rhythm and that's why I was impressed uh with the defense of the Timberwolves Look they they had some
1: possessions certainly where where they you know they they pressured them and clamped down Jay McDaniels had a phenomenal strip yep. possession in that where he got the dunk. strip court, then had to run down the loose ball and picked yep. it up finally and got ahead of the pack for a dunk. That was a big, like a momentum play, gave them a lot of energy. Um And I'm not saying that they were just like out there going through the motions defensively. Sure. Of course, they're a good defensive team and they're, and they're, they're there. I'm just saying, if you want, if we want to go back possession by possession and look at what the Clippers were getting, these are makeable shots. I mean, Norman Powell had a play where he comes off a ball screen and shoots a wide open twelve foot jumper in that stretch, wide open, completely right. naked, misses it. They had multiple wide open, uncontested three point shots during that stretch. That's all I'm saying. Like the Clippers right. definitely contributed to it with their shot making. You're always going to give credit to the team, you know, that 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 played well defensively. I'm I'm for me, I'll, all I'm saying is I was sure. more impressed with what yeah. with what. Minnesota was able to do against the Clippers on the other end of the floor. They went at whoever was in front of them. Every matchup they got, they went right at them. And like I said, they just, they looked small. You know, Harden's got a size advantage on Conley at the point. But then, you know, when Minnesota's playing those two bigs together, basically the Clippers, you got one big on the floor, and then you got, it's either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or Terrence Mann. Like, those are the next three guys. And you look around, you got a long Jaden McDaniels, You've got Towns, you've got Gobert, and Anthony Edwards, who like physically fits the same profile as Kawhi. So it's, they just looked so much bigger and stronger during that stretch. And I just thought they were so certain and confident yeah. the way they were playing, the way they went out there, man. So uh, like I said, i just super impressed with everything that I saw at the Timberwolves. And that, that's that's what a deep run playoff team looks like, the way that they yeah. played last night.
0: Yeah. The other thing that happened in this game is Monte Morris made his debut and played 18 minutes, which I believe is the most minutes he's played all year. I mean, he didn't play that many games for Detroit, but to get 18 minutes right out of the gate surprised me a little bit in his first active game. But one of the things we've talked about lately, Legs, and I noticed this so much because the Nuggets don't have it. Teams that have a continuity between their main lineups and all of their other blended or bench lineups, I think have an advantage because there's one type of way that you play. You don't have to change up like, okay, now we play this way and it's completely different. Monte Morris offensively has a lot of Mike Conley in his game. Doesn't turn the ball over, knows where to get the ball, can knock down a shot when he needs it, can play with the ball in his hands or with the ball off of his hands, and obviously a good pick and roll player they have three centers and they like to play any combination of those three guys you know two of those three guys i think that him unlike a mclaughlin obviously unlike a Nikhil alexander walker monte gives them the ability to play similarly for 48 minutes and i thought you saw that last night because again that run that they made was really a run of the blended lineups that it wasn't like it was monte's reason but it just was that they were able to keep punching in the exact same way and the clippers held it off for a while but over time, those blended lineups started to just wear them down and wear them down. Completely agree with you. I, I was watching Monte Morris thinking the same thing. Like, well, wow, this is this is one of the more understated
1: acquisitions, right? Um, for, for you, because know, we we talked about, we went over a lot of them. Um, and, and even that day when I was on the air, we were going over right. it as, as they were coming in. There wasn't a lot of talk about that. But you look looking at it, I think it's significant what he brings to them. He's just really proven, he's a proven player and he looked super comfortable. This is his first game and he comes in and you know he's a plus 10 in 18 minutes in a really big important game. All right, that you know everybody kind of had eyeballs on to see how these two teams were going to match up. I thought Monte Morris just the way he equipped himself, that's going to bode well for Minnesota. That's just another veteran polished yeah. guard that they're going to have to to be able to you know handle it against pressure and Monte Morris is more than capable by the way, there there are times he's going to get hot and he's going to be able to yep. you know, ride some shots and string string them together because he's done it before. Um, so I agree with you. That that was a that was nice to watch him last night look that comfortable and assimilate himself that easily.
0: And you know, if you, there's two things that concern me about the Minnesota roster that i'm less concerned of with the monte addition i know it's a small addition but one was did they have enough ball handling because they use guys like kyle anderson to kill alexander walker even anthony edwards as ball handlers and those guys to me are all secondary ball handlers if they're your primary initiator of an offense i think they're a little deficient but now they all with monte there you get to slot them into their appropriate spots and i think that takes the burden off of them especially a guy like anthony edwards you don't want him wearing himself out by bringing the ball up the court every single possession so there's that and then the three-point spacing not even shooting because last night they win they only shoot 32 percent but the spacing and that's another area where monte morris allows another catch and shoot floor spacer and i still think they're a little deficient at that one thing and that's why if you're you know bearish on the wolves going into the playoffs it's probably for that reason is that you're worried teams are going to not trust their shooters and it's going to come down to that but Monte does just give them another option there. And so that's why I think – I like that you brought it up. It was an underrated move. It also happened 24 hours before the deadline. So those always kind of get, like, overlooked because the the news is breaking after it. But he fills two big holes that I thought they had. And if he plays like he did last night, he's going to be a very positive player for them.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. He's not going to be phased by anything he sees. And that, I think that's, that's important. Um, they've got some veteran guys on this team that have been through some playoff runs with other – Teams and 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 some you know, with the Timberwolves to a limited degree. Um, they haven't broken through as a group. This looks like a team that's got a great mixture of some young athletic legs and then veteran guys that are going to you know be able to handle that those situations that crop up in a playoff series. And Monte Morris is one of those guys. He's just not going to be rattled by anything. You're not going to like speed him up. He's not going to make mistakes. Uh, super solid pickup and just gives you more
0: depth at the guard spot. And then the defense, guarding the Clippers one-on-one is just such a tough thing because they have so many guys. But I think the Timberwolves, them and the Pelicans, maybe have the best collection of one-on-one defenders. Obviously, having Gobert behind there makes everybody better. But you mentioned um, Jaden McDaniels, who was, I thought, phenomenal last night and on one of the toughest assignments. But I always look at Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and even Carl Anthony Towns, who had a couple good defensive possessions in this game. They just did a really good job one-on-one defensively of making everything hard.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, And look, it's they have the ability to be able to press press up more than most teams in this league because, you know, they know that they've got an awful lot of size behind them. And they've got a guy in Gobert who's always going to be tracking. He's always going to be bothering people once they get to the rim. So they have athletically the personnel, particularly with Edwards and McDaniels on the floor at the same time and Alexander Walker as well those three guys can pressure up a little bit more and force guys to get out of their go-to step back stuff and make them have to then counter that and get get in get down into the interior of defense where you're going to have a lot of size and length coming your way. You saw a lot of that last night. Um stuff in the paint at the rim. I felt like well, yeah, Minnesota does does a great job. They always do of contesting those shots and getting a lot of long arms flying at guys trying to finish floaters and stuff off the glass or anything in the post um and they did it again last night it was just as complete a performance as you're going to see because it i thought the clippers played hard they were ready to play and it, it was this was a you know one possession game pretty tight game for two and a half quarters and then right. for what minnesota did over the last 16 minutes of the game you know it just completely they were on two different levels these two teams last night and uh, that, i don't think the clippers really expected that so minnesota Statement game is a good way to put it. I don't believe in them too often in the regular season, but I do think that was one last night. And you could tell by the approach Minnesota had. They weren't treating that like just another game. This was important to them, knowing that the Clippers have been this hot. And a lot of people now, actually, over the last few weeks, just when I say a lot of people, I'm talking about the the totality of the people that cover the league. Look Look at kind of the narrative behind the Clippers, what it's been lately. A lot of people think this team can get to the finals or win the whole thing that's what they look like now. And so Minnesota's aware of that even though they've been, you know, at the top or near the top of the west most of the year, they're aware of that. So they they were they were up on their toes for this, man, and they they responded.
0: Do you think cuz this would be a very fascinating playoff matchup to me if they were to match up in the second round as a 1-4? Absolutely. The thing is the, question, the- the Clippers love playing small. I mean, I, I, I'm curious if the Clippers are going to win a series where they never get to go to their smallest lineups. And one, the most interesting thing that happened last night, in my opinion, was when the Clippers went small, the Timberwolves didn't blink. They stayed big and they won. Do you think that this is a series that if it were to happen, the Clippers would be able to play small? Or is this one where they're going to have to have one of Plumlee or Zubots on the court at all times?
1: Yeah, I think you're going to have to have you're going to have to have one of those bigs for sure. I think that that because of I think a lot of it has to do with how multidimensional offensively Towns is. That yeah. that's different. You know, you know, you think about like Cleveland is, is is also a great defensive team and they're playing two bigs all the time and Mobley and Allen kind of are getting better at right. being able to be, you know occupy different spots on the floor. Evan Mobley's not Carl Anthony Towns. You know, and the way that you have to play him and guard him because Carl Anthony Towns will beat up smaller guys. He had some switches early in the game where he catches the ball, he turns his back on you, and he is an absolute load to try to, you know, guard with with a guy that's like six, seven or below. And he doesn't notice they're there. Um, As long as he doesn't like settle for a quick three, like if he's taking shots that are, you know, what he's looking for. So I don't think you're going to have a choice. Uh, You're not going to be able to play basically a point guard and four wings you're going to have to have somebody with some size on the floor at all times against minnesota if you're the clippers and that's you like you said that's not necessarily their best lineup
0: it's that's why i think the playoffs are setting up to be really fascinating especially with the warriors kind of coming on strong with their small ball is you have teams like the clippers the suns and the warriors who i think really want to play small and then you have the, the thunder who are just small because they have to be i mean with chet so you have half the teams, basically, that want to play small. And then you have the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the Kings. These are teams that want to play big and they and have to play big by virtue of who they have. So I think we're going to get a lot of interesting small ball versus bully ball. And I know that small ball has won that battle for most of the last decade. I'm yeah. very curious to see if these teams have kind of figured out a new bully ball that maybe is ready to combat it. I, I just think we're setting up for something very fascinating there. Any final thoughts on this game or what you saw from either team?
1: um I, like uh, for me you know i I've, I've been you know we've been talking about the Timberwolves a lot this year justifiably so with the, the year that they've had Indeed. and we're always you know we're constantly trying to figure out how do they re- how, you know how do these teams really stack up with each other here at the top of the Western Conference because you had teams like the Clippers that made a ma- major change later on and and you know they got hot here more recently they weren't very good at the start of the year um, Denver is a team that we, you know, is, is so proven. We kind of know what they are. So Oklahoma City and Minnesota have been getting all this talk all year. Where you really are trying to figure out, and then because you also have Phoenix, Dallas, like teams like this, New Orleans, like all these teams lurking. This to me is ve- put a very clear picture in my mind of what Minnesota is at their best, and I'm going to use this as kind of a reference point for me when I talk about them the rest of the year. That's how that's how impressed yeah. I was with the way that they played in the second half of this game.
0: Well, that brings us to the top four in the Western Conference because that game obviously put them a game ahead of the Clippers. Uh, if they would have lost, that would have swept, switched. The Clippers would have been at the top of the West. But right now, the Timberwolves sit there. And we have this graphic. If we look at the top four, you can pull up here, Emma. The 37-16 and 16 record for the Timberwolves. Going forward, they have the fifth easiest strength of schedule. This is according to my favorite calendar site, Positive Residual, which Factors in home and away and rest advantage versus disadvantage. They have the fifth easiest remaining, and DraftKings has them at plus 185. Right below them, you have the Thunder, who have the seventh easiest schedule, plus 500. You have the Nuggets, who have the second best odds on DraftKings plus 200, because they have the easiest strength of schedule remaining. I think they have five more home games than road games the rest of the way, and the fewest back-to-backs in the NBA. And then the Clippers, who have the toughest schedule, 19th easiest, and then they are at plus 280. So knowing this legs and looking at those, you know, remaining strength of schedule for whatever it's worth, plus the odds, do you have a prediction for who you think is going to end up winning the number one seed?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because you and I talked about doing this segment and I didn't look, I didn't get that information until just now when you popped that up no. on the screen. And it's gonna come down to, in my mind, the way I had them ranked, how they're gonna finish, the exact order of what those odds tell you. So really? I'm going, I have Minnesota at number one and and, you had the strength schedule on there yeah. they've got five i believe five more home games i believe than road games the rest of the way that's going to be you're big right for them Yep,
0: seventeen right? to twelve and, you're right yep and then you've got denver
1: uh in number two and i don't know that denver like i, I don't think denver it because of you know the fact that they won it man you, you know that gives you a lot of cachet to like kind of handle the regular season how you won i don't necessarily think that that they're like They really want to get that number one seed. They think that that's critical. I think their big thing would be, let's just make sure, hey, we're going to manage our guys. You know, we're obviously going to, you know, we're going to win games along the way. But a team like that is not as focused on it. I just think their schedule and just the way that they play, the continuity of the way they play will allow them to finish in the two spot. I think the Clippers finish third. I think Oklahoma City finishes fourth. That's how I would put it. But look, these teams are separated by a game and a half, four teams. Who knows? But I th- I think Minnesota's – I just think that, number one, I just think that you know they're, they're so impressive defensively, it gives you a chance every night. Even when you – nights you don't shoot well. Nights you're missing somebody. Nights you have a bad shooting night collectively. It gives you a chance to be in games. When you combine that with the fact that they've got five more home games the rest of the way than road games, that's why I think ultimately Minnesota ends up with the one seed.
0: So they play each other. Denver and Minnesota play each other three more times um, this season. Two of them will be in Denver. One of them will be in Minnesota. Each team will have one home game that is on the second night of a back-to-back for them, actually traveling from Utah in both instances. So that'll be interesting because both teams, in a way, will have the ability down the stretch, most likely to control their fate should they win those games. So I think that that's one of the things that I kind of like about how the schedule broke out is we'll see the, that matchup going into the playoffs. And if it is 1-2 in whatever order with those two teams, playing each other three times in the final month will be a nice table setter to perhaps eventually meeting each other again, albeit in the conference finals. So I like that one. Um, Denver scares me. We're going to get to them a little bit later. Just in, <laughs> we saw what they did last year in the last month of the season where they clearly chose health over wins down the stretch. And they are coming off of two back-to-back blowout losses that were pretty disheartening and discouraging. But Nonetheless, for most of the year, they have looked like a team that's capable of of making that strike late in the season. So we'll see. Should be noted, I think the Nuggets of all those four teams is lowest in the tiebreaker by virtue of having lost, you know, to uh, their division opponents and also losing to Minnesota and Oklahoma City this year. Um, All right, let's take a break. On the other side, the Warriors keep rolling. They got a very impressive win in one of the hardest places to win in all of the NBA in Utah. And they uh have some momentum going that we talked about yesterday, but they did it again last night. So we'll talk about it. But first, NBA is in full swing, football season is officially over, so now's the time to hop on DraftKings. That line we just gave you for the one seed in the Western Conference, that's a fun little bet to throw down. Uh, who will win? I like that you don't just have to bet on record, it's who's going to win the conference. And those odds are really nice with the three teams, you know, being all bunched right there together. So Um, You can hop on DraftKings and make that bet. You could bet on MVP. I had a lot of Luka Doncic fans in the mentions of our show yesterday saying that he was a lock to win MVP. If you believe that, you got great odds on it on DraftKings. So hop on DraftKings and put your money where your mouth is and see if you can win big uh, come the awards uh, reveal. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code All NBA. New customers bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly whether you win or lose, only on DraftKings with All ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY That's 467-369. In Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets exp- 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, the other game we wanted to get to. The Warriors go in to Utah, to Salt Lake, and they pick up a big win. What stood out to you about this one, Legs?
1: Oh, man, a few things. Uh, so first, I, I, I want to talk about, you know, they can still get these nights out of clay thompson clay played well in this game now it is funny because say he played well but he still had one of the worst missed three point shots i've ever i've ever seen clay thompson have. he probably has never missed a three as bad as he missed one last night from like the right wing that slammed yeah. off the backboard without hitting anything on the opposite side of the rim you're just like wow and it was like before he'd really gotten kind of into a rhythm overall though he played well he had cuts he had stuff in transition he had plays that they ran for him designed plays to come off down screens into a dribble handoff like they always run for clay but they haven't been running as much because of you know the inconsistency and like the lack of confidence right now they ran some of that for him last night um he had like a one footed floater like, you know so he it looked kind of like a Clay Thompson game you know that we're used to in the course of his career. so he still has these nights in him now the finding that consistently has been, has been the big challenge here. But that's first. Let's just start there. Klay Thompson played well last night, and that's really, really important supplemental offense now when he gives that to them. Um, Because Wiggins was good. Kaminga was good. Curry was good until he was great in the fourth quarter. He had a Mm. game that a lot of guards in this league would be like, yeah, it's a good game for a good guard in the NBA through three. He had missed some shots he usually makes. I thought they did a pretty good job of, of, like, tagging him, trailing him, denying him, forcing him to, you know, to not really get clean looks. And then he went absolutely nuts in the fourth quarter. He hits one, and then the very next trip hits another three, and now you're like, oh, man, because now he's just going to be absolutely on running frenetically and, and all that pressure that that puts on teams and it creates stuff for other guys. He did that. Ends up with five threes in the fourth, seven overall. Third straight game with seven or more made threes. Um, he was great. I thought – to me, this was one of the better, like, defensive games I've seen Golden State play all year. Their defense was so active uh, and fast the entire game. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, and so, like, they, they've won some games here lately. We've talked about them yesterday. They're starting to get some notice. People are kind of going, Hey, this is interesting now. Like, Wiggins is starting to play a little better. Kaminga's been great. You're expecting him now to play really well I every mean, like night. Curry's been sensational. And, It's like okay, wow, they're they're starting to get some wins, and they're starting that which is they lost so many close games. They're starting to win those games, so now you go into Utah, and I really wanted to watch this game for that reason. Uh, You're a hot team. This Utah's a a good team at home, really tough. Let's see what they do in this situation. And they go in there and they win the game by 22 points. They win it going away in the fourth quarter. So it just to me. Adds to the intrigue of what we're seeing in Golden State right now, and and again, they're elevating themselves in terms of what you need to watch every night because they're they're getting it together. Uh, yeah. To what extent, I don't know. That remains to be seen. It's too small of a sample size. Right. Let's see if this thing keeps trending in the right direction. If at some point they get Chris Paul back, and 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 you know what that does for them and adds to it, but they played great last night on both ends of the floor and you're know, defensively really good, and then offensively good enough until Curry basically closed the game in the fourth quarter.
0: And this was a big game not just because it's tough to play at Utah, not just because it helped them match their longest win streak of the season, five games, but also the Jazz are the team that's right behind the Warriors in the standings, and I know we're, we're only talking about the last spot of the play-in, but for the longest portion of the season, the Warriors were on the outside looking in. They now move three games ahead of the Utah Jazz in the loss column. That's pretty big. That's yep. pretty massive with the amount of games that are remaining on the schedule to have a three-game cushion. And now you look at it, they're pretty much tied in the, uh, you know, they're, they're actually one ahead in the lost column of the Lakers. And then within striking distance to those teams that are above them, you know, the Pelicans, Suns, Kings, and Mavericks, they're not, they're as close as the Utah Jazz are behind the Warriors. So you look at that and you go just one little five-game stretch, a little rebirth of the Warriors here has got them back in position to kind of control their fate. But let me ask you this, because this is a thing I keep thinking about with the Warriors: How many of their best five, like you say, you go into the last three minutes, five minutes of a game, tied, and you have to get a win? How many guys are a lock to be on the court right now, and who are those guys?
1: Uh, well, yeah, well, obviously, Clay Thompson's not one of them. So you're going to have, I think, you're going to have a lock. You're going to have Kamingo on the court. You're going to have Curry on the court. You're going to have Wiggins on the court. You're going to have Draymond on the court. So I think guys, is yeah. most is the most is most likely the guy. He's just He's a winning player and he's really good under pressure. He can he can make a play at the right time by 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 passing the basketball and making the right read. He can score when he needs to. Uh, pr- pretty good on the ball defender. I think Podzemski's the guy now, more often than not, that you're going to see out there in the court uh, unless some of those minutes get eaten up by Gary Payton a second, because he just came back. And I think it's going to be situational. If you need a little bit more offense, it's probably going to be Podzemski. If it's going to, if you need a little bit more defense, you're trying to hold a lead, and they have a, they have a guard you're trying to control, you're going to see Peyton out there. But I think more often than not, it's going to be one of those two. But I think the first four guys, they're going to be out there: Draymond, yeah. Curry, Wiggins, and Kaminga. I think those four guys will be on the court, and then it, it's just a rotation of guys. Maybe one night if Clay's got really got to go, and you go with Clay. There's going right. to be nights when it's not him because he's the way he's looked offensively. So you got Podzemski, Clay, Peyton, and then probably Saric, even I think at times, depending if you need a little bit more size and who you're playing against.
0: So I don't know about Saric just because I don't know how he fits with a Draymond and, and a. You know, well, I, oh, but I I got first of all,
1: I forgot about Kevin Looney too because th- that's big, another guy team. that Kerr has great trust in that if they need to go bigger, it might be Looney instead of Saric.
0: He does have great trust in him, but he's playing these like eleven, eight, 8, you know, 9 minutes, uh, you know, over these last few games when they've been winning. I mean, they are a team that really is going back to being all in. And to me, they're the most compelling small ball team just because they're the only – like we talked about the Suns. We talked about the Clippers. They're the only team that has proven to be able to do this at a high level with Draymond at center. I mean, we have a decade basically of him doing it. So all those other teams maybe have more compelling offenses, but Draymond's the one guy that I look at and go – you know what? He could defend some of these big guys in the West. We'll have to wait and see. But I, as much as I agree with you about Pajens- uh, Pajenski being the guy who I think is most likely at this moment, but I kind of love Gary Payton in that spot. And I don't know if they're going to have enough shooting with that lineup. You're basically talking about Steph, Wiggins, and Kaminga become your floor spacers because you're going to have Draymond and Gary Payton on the floor. You're not going to have a lot of spacing from that, you know, with those two guys. But I love – you talked about last night they looked fast. That's Gary Payton. He is so, I mean, it's also Kaminga and some of these other guys, but Gary Payton to me as a defender is so tenacious and fast and speeds people up and gets hands on the ball and hands just just constantly pestering the ball that I love the way he and Draymond look when they're on the court together defensively. So to me, I kind of like that look, even though I agree Pods is a little bit more of a two-way player.
1: Yeah, that's why I said it's. I think it's gonna it's gonna be situational, depending on the night and which end of the floor is better for the Warriors on that given night. Is, is that they need more out of they? They have two options there because they are a little bit different. Podzemski is is, is a guy that offensively is just going to do more things that are going to help other guys on the floor. Uh, Payton right. is a guy that you know he's gonna he's gonna find ways to score because of his athletic ability, his quickness you know, with lobs and transition stuff. And every now and then he'll sneak in there and get an offensive rebound or tip in. But Podzemski is a guy that you can just run your normal offense in the flow with the read and react stuff. And he's so good at that. And so good at interpreting what needs to be done. He's also got great communication skills for a a rookie. Like I've rarely seen a rookie that is that communicative and talkative and demonstrative yeah. when he's got the ball dribbling and pointing and directing guys. And it's not like, hey, I'm trying to get something for myself, give me a ball screen, I want to go. It's not even that. He's he's getting guys organized spate from a spacing standpoint before they start to run their action. I, I've been very yeah. impressed with that. Like his grip on what they're trying to do is so high. That, and it's obvious from the beginning. Like they and even when I went out there in the preseason and talked to all those guys, like Kerr especially like just so high on him and Mike Dunleavy Jr., what they had seen to that point in camp, they have an incredible trust in him. So look, I don't think you can go wrong either way, man. It's gonna depend on a given night what you need because I think both of them can give you different things.
0: Yeah. Uh, real quickly, just one, on, one line here on the Utah Jazz or, or, or one take on the Utah Jazz. This is the second year in a row, and look, the season's not over, there's still time, but it's the second year in a row where they have been a really good story, surprise story, uh better than expected and then midway through the season it kind of falls apart and they fall back out of the playoffs i'm not saying it's over but at the moment it's not looking good for them to make the playoffs what do you make of that i mean they were always trying to rebuild but it is a little weird when you have a chance to be a playoff team two years in a row and you end up coming up short is that is there reason to maybe be a little not concerned but is is it weird to you that utah to be in that same spot two years in a row no, I, I'm not really. I mean, I was a little bit surprised that they
1: were as bad as they were early in the year. Um, I'm not, you know, I, 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 they're somewhere in the middle of like how hot they've been and how bad yeah. they were. Like, that's what I thought they would be. And it's kind of all what right. they're going to end up. So, no, I'm not really surprised with it. My, I want to do have one note on them from last night. Um, okay. And, well, actually, two. One is like Colin Sexton is all the way back with his athletic ability, he's all the way back. And he, he, You remember what, what this guy was doing in Cleveland like so before he got hurt? And I was waiting, and last night he had some of those explosive plays where he t- was able to take off and hang in the air and finish at the rim. So I want to say that first. And secondly, I was so impressed with how good Walker Kessler was last night defensively. My goodness, is he active. The stuff that he disrupts, the blocks that he gets to, and he had a couple plays. He broke up two lobs where he was completely out of position because he was helping on a drive, and they throw a lob, and he just takes one step, jumps backwards, basically, and then tips the lob at the rim, in addition to the four blocks that he had. So I, that stood out to me. You know, he, he's he's averaging two, 2.8 blocks in like 23 minutes. Um, and and his rebound number is about eight, almost eight in 23 minutes. So like his production as a rebounder, shot blocker and his activity level, super impressed with that last night. I think he's come a long way in terms of his understanding of of you know positional defense allows him to cover more ground and be more effective so that's kind of from utah's perspective that's what i was noticing on their end of the floor
0: i mean he's so good i want to see where he adds you know where he develops an offensive game obviously has to become a better free throw shooter but defensively i'm with you man that guy that guy really affects shots let's go to another game here the bucks get a blowout defensive-minded win over the denver nuggets 112 to 95 the nuggets held under 100 points in this game it's the second game in a row that the nuggets have been blown out they were blown out uh three nights ago in sacramento then they go to milwaukee and get blown out here what stood out to you about this game well i'll tell you what i want you to go first because this is your squad you watch them every night
1: man i was i was i was stoked for this game and denver did not have it and it was apparent early what what did yeah. you see man what was different about him
0: well one i think they had a really and i don't know this but i'm guessing they had a really good super bowl party it, i I'm, I'm guessing it was a really fun one because this was a team that looked checked out from the start i mean you look at at halftime Jokic i think had 23 points the rest of the starters had seven total so this was a game where really none of the other guys showed up kcp had been out a few games with a hamstring injury and came back in this one. And he clearly, he only played nine minutes. It was nine too many. He clearly was not ready to return from that injury. And then Jamal Murray played just 18 really horrible minutes because he too is dealing with an injury. So to me, this is a game where, not not to make the excuse, because I think Denver could have had a better intensity and attention to detail and all those things over their last two. But this is a game where I thought Denver down a couple guys that tried to give it a go, got blown out, and then just had no ability to sort of regain any kind of momentum throughout the course of this game. I think Denver – and tell me what you think about this, Legs. Denver, more than most teams, needs their full complement of starting five because they're such a chemistry-based team, and they have pieces that fit so nicely. So other teams can be losing their fifth guy, their fourth guy. You plug a new guy in, does the same thing, it's fine. With Denver, I feel like they need their guys. And not having KCP, not having Murray – they couldn't replace him last night.
1: I, I agree with that because it's like a, it's like a uh, production line, right? Like a factory line. Yeah. If you take somebody off the line, right? It's definitely right. Yeah. not going to – you're not going to produce as much, and I think that's what it looked like. I, I, I What you're saying about Jamal Murray was interesting because I saw at one point in the game he threw a pass uh, – I think it was in the first quarter. might have been the second. But he threw a pass from the left wing trying to get it to a shooter on the right side of the floor, like in the corner, and it was intercepted. Yeah. And he would have been, based on where he was when he threw the pass, he would have been the first guy back because he was the highest Denver offensive player when he threw the ball. Ball was stolen. I don't remember what players yep. picked it off. They went the other way. He didn't even make an attempt to get back. And it yep. led to a dunk, right? And I was I was yep. like, he had actually he actually he actually kind of put his hand like over his face yeah. as he started to like, jog back, and then I was just was watching him after that because that's not like him. Came up the floor, and then there was like a dead ball whistle, and I noticed he was bent over like holding his knees right in front of Mike Malone on the sidelines. And they were having a conversation. Like and Mike Malone was bent down. He was looking up at him. They were talking. And I was trying to figure out what that was. He looked like he was like physically ill or something. I It almost looked like they were talking about, do you need to come out? Like, are you okay? You need to come out of the right, game. Right. And so and maybe it was just whatever he's dealing with, but he did not look himself. I think the thing that was, was apparent from the very beginning of this game, I, I don't know that I've seen Giannis get to the rim that easily early yep. in the game that he as he did against Denver. And that yep. that's not what you expect when you're going to play Denver. They, and because they're so well-prepared and everybody knows you have to make sure you've got bodies in front of his driving paths. That's really what it comes down to for Giannis, the commitment to get back and then the commitment to play the edge of the lane and force him to have kickouts or run people over. They didn't do that. He got where he wanted to go. I was actually shocked to see they only had, I believe, 44 points in the paint. I felt like they were all Giannis like in the first 18 loud. minutes of the game. He, every time you looked up, he was at the rim. So I just think that, Chalk it up to one of those nights in an 82 game season. It's unfortunate because of what that game could have given us if Denver was more, you know, ready. That yeah. would that could have been a great game with a great finish, and it just never it never got there um, because the Bucks the Bucks were absolutely more ready to play, fresher, more bounce, more aggressive. Denver didn't have it. They did not look very good at all. And you know, you they can put this in their memory bank and uh, get this out of their memory bank real quickly, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, Denver has one more game before the break, hosting Sacramento. We'll see if they bounce back in that one, but two in a row where they get blown out. Here's another thing that's interesting, and it's actually interesting for both sides. You're right, Giannis was incredible. 36-18, five assists, three steals, two blocks. That's everything. He dominated this game. They also had him guarding Aaron Gordon, and they had him playing more of a roamer role defensively, which is obviously what he's best at. The big question for the Bucs is going to be, can they defend? Last night, they defended at an elite level. And my question is, with the Nuggets, more teams this year than ever before have just not guarded Aaron Gordon, if they have the ability to. And a team like Milwaukee has the ability to use a Giannis in that role, where it's he can run off and and contain anything on the perimeter, but he's going to pack the paint and challenge Aaron Gordon at the rim. They did that last night, and they are very well suited to playing that style of defense. I think it's the best defense that Giannis can play is being that roamer. But I also think Denver, that's their biggest vulnerability that nobody was really able to exploit last year. Minnesota came the closest of just saying, hey, we're not going to guard Aaron Gordon. We're going to contest him at the rim. But anything outside the paint, we just don't care if he touches the ball or does anything. And he clearly doesn't have confidence in his shot. And Denver does seem to get stuck in the mud sometimes against that style of defense. What do you think? No, it's, a, it's definitely a
1: factor. It's when I watch the Nuggets games now, it's kind of what I'm looking for to see if teams are doing that to Aaron Gordon. And you're, see, you're starting to see teams do it more and more. And he was two for four for the three-point line last night. But he didn't take a single free throw. And, right. and you know, this, oh, so yeah. this – yeah, and that's important, man. The way that he plays and as strong as he is in physical. And when they're at their best, he's he's getting stuff along the baseline where he's getting those drop-offs from Jokic. and, stuff, and He's powering it up to the rim. He didn't shoot a single free throw. Um, And you're seeing the way teams play him being you've got to pick something you've got to give up against them because if you just try to play them straight up the way that they operate, the way they read each other, the way they move the ball, as smart as they are, the feel that they have for each other, you're going to have a a hell of a time. So you got to figure there's something we have to do to manipulate our defense to try to force something out of them that they don't want to do. And that's what it is. And that's something to be watching for now every night when you watch Denver play.
0: And the Bucks on the other end of this, you know, no Chris Middleton in this game as well. And they play with Jay Crowder essentially at the small forward position. So very rare to play even bigger, you know, to move a guy up a spot. But, you know, it worked out for them. Is there Did they find anything in a lineup like that? Or is that just, uh, you know, something they had to do out of necessity?
1: Yeah, they had to do it out of necessity. And that's, honestly, that's the other thing. Look, they looked great, but when when the team that you're playing is that far below their norm, which is right. exactly what I was watching last night for Denver. I mean, if, if I didn't know who Denver was, I just got dropped out of a spaceship, and I watched a basketball game for the first time, and you asked me about the Denver Nuggets after, I would have said, oh, it's a shame. That team, obviously, that's a, that must be a lottery-bound team because they just didn't have it. They looked awful. and here we are the defending champs so my point is this when the team is that far below their norm it's really hard to even know what you saw out of the other team because look the bucks you know since they made the coaching change they, they haven't been winning they've had all kinds of issues defensively this year you don't erase those in one night i don't care that you're playing denver when denver plays that poorly and I'm not trying to, you know. And people I know, you'll get Bucks fans on here losing their minds. You're not giving them any credit. Yes, you're not listening to the whole dialogue. Okay, right. somebody, some of the people that, that watch these shows, whatever. You got to take off your team's pajamas that you wore to bed last right. night. You got, you know, you got to like just put your big boy pants on and understand right. you're watching the game differently if you're a diehard fan of a team and you have yeah. complete bias. We don't right. have bias here. There is zero bias here. I'm just giving you what I see. Bucks played great, but relative also to how Denver played, it does matter when a team is that far below their standard, and that's what Denver was last night. So my point is, I don't really know exactly if they figured some stuff out in Milwaukee. Let's see. What well, who do they play? What's their schedule coming up? I'll tell you what. I'll know. I hopefully a little bit more because I just don't Probably think that was to really break. I got it right here, real quick. So they got they got Miami at home uh tonight at memphis all right at they're minnesota yeah friday february 23rd after the break they're at minnesota maybe maybe that'll be a good good gauge by then because then by that time also doc have had more time he'll have the break yep. more film study for him better feel for what he wants to do and adjustments he can make rather than taking over a team on the fly you're not ready to implement really anything hardly He'll have more time. It's that might be the game when we look really look at Milwaukee and see how far they've come, like since Doc got there, or what's different since Doc got there.
0: Yeah, no question. Um, another game that happened last night, we're going to run through some of these other ones and just make quick notes. Even though we didn't see, these the games we talked about are the games we keyed in on and watched. These ones, obviously, we're just seeing some of the highlights on, but the Knicks get a brutal loss last night to the Houston Rockets. Aaron Holiday takes a three-pointer off of like a kind of a scramble play, takes a three-pointer at the buzzer and is maybe bumped into by Jalen Brunson. A foul is called, you review, sub-held. And the Rockets win the game on free throws at the end. After the game, Ed Molloy told pool reporters it was the wrong call. So, what did you see from this play? Uh, how do you feel about how this all went down? All right. So,
1: I didn't watch that game. So, I had to go back and kind of get caught up this morning on that game. And I watched the end of the game. And the very first time I saw it live, I saw it at full speed. I was saying to myself, man, like, you don't, you rarely see a defender contest with that amount of vigor in that situation. I mean, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, look at the replay. Jalen Brunson was completely sold out to getting off the ground as high as he possibly can and flying at the shooter. You you know, and I, I, and I'm not, I'm not like criticizing him for that. It just kind of stood out to me like, man, like he really went full bore to contest the shot and you run a risk when you do that. Um, now that was that was seeing it full speed first time when I saw the replay of it I mean I I completely agree it's a bad call I felt like first of all he he did the right thing in going on the opposite side body of the shooting hand right right Mm -hmm. so that's really important if you know if you are going to go and contest that and get off the ground and by the way just for the record I hate when guys in that situation come out and they do the whole thing feet firmly planted on the ground and they just kind of put their hands up like this because they're so terrified. You're not, you're not impeding a a great shooter, like in that situation at all. So I do believe in kind of getting a hand up and maybe even getting off the ground a little bit, but fully extending your arm. But Brunson's momentum was so full bore at the shooter. You open up this can of worms that an official could interpret, could, could interpret any sort of contact as being a foul because how hard you're going defensively. He did the right thing. He went out on the opposite side of the release point, which is what you got to do, fly by the non-shooting arm. And I thought the arm of the shooter sort of came out a little bit, the elbow that kind of made contact with Brunson's like you know, st- stomach and, and side. That probably wouldn't have happened if, if he didn't do that. So for me, and now that I had the, the luxury of watching the replay a couple, several times, that should not have been called, and Eddie Malloy pretty much admitted it. And it is an absolutely brutal way to lose a game. But it, again, it, it's going to make it might make Jalen Brunson gunshy ever about doing that again, like to that extent, to contest <laughs> which, which, it that hard. Yeah. All these, because he, would, man, he, he like, went after been, man. To and and you, you run a risk because most guys err on the other side. They're overly cautious defensively in that situation. And you give a guy a decent look in a comfort zone. Well, Brunson wanted to take away the comfort zone, and he did that. And as a result, and you could even see, by the way, when the official blew the whistle, there was zero commitment to his call. <laughs> the <laughs> look on his face immediately yeah. was yeah. like, "Oh, yeah, I guess this is kind of a big call." And uh, and then yeah. he, you know he's talking to Brunson and Thibodeau, and it was just kind of like you could see, like there was zero zero validation internally that that was the right thing to do. And then, like Eddie Malloy, pretty much said it after the game.
0: Yeah. Um, We got a super chat here from Jay Money. We'll bring it on. It says, thoughts on Clay's comments on accepting his lesser role and saying he modeled his game after Ray Allen to be effective into his late 30s. Love it for him. I did not see these comments, so I can't speak on them. Did you see these by chance, Legs? No, I didn't. I didn't see those comments, actually. So we we can infer what was said based on this comment. So not having not seen it, though, what do you think about him just saying that he's ready to accept that role? Yeah, look,
1: I think, man, you can't even begin to overstate how difficult coming to terms with that is for a yeah. player on that level that has accomplished that much. That still feels like, because he can do it on given nights, like, it still feels like he's the same guy. Now, his confidence right now is completely rattled. There's no doubt about that. But, again, last night, you know, 11 for what it shoots efficiently, 26 points. You know, a lot of that looked like Klay Thompson. The normal Clay Thompson, so he knows it's there, and so that that makes it even harder. It's not like it's obvious, man. He's you know, he's thirty eight years old, and he he's just not close to the same guy. And you completely create a different role for him. He's not like he's not not who Clay Thompson is right now. So I give him a lot of credit, man. And how hard it must have been his pride to be able to come to terms with it. It is difficult for an athlete to accept it, but him it, it starts with verbally being able to say it, because that's hard for guys to even say. Yeah, For him to be able to say it shows the work he is doing internally and mentally to come to terms with it. And how can I help this team? That's really all that's going to matter. How can I best serve helping this team? And on a given night, it's going to be different. And for him to admit that, man, I, I just, I'm just i just telling you, that is a very difficult thing uh, to, to come to mentally, um, particularly when your running mate still looks as good as he does. That's That's hard. And so give Clay Thompson all the credit in the world man. And I just hope that I just hope that he finds some kind of better rhythm at some point this year and he's able to, you know, to do yeah. that for the Warriors if they do make the playoffs.
0: Would be a good story for him to find a new role different from what he was but then excel in that role. There's something, you know, sweet about that. 76ers last night behind Buddy Healed, 24 points, 8 assists, 5 of 8 from 3. Get an upset win in Cleveland over the Clippers. The 76ers had been reeling. The Clippers had been streaking and the script reversed last night. What do you make of of that box score and that outcome?
1: Love, love, uh, buddy Hill, Kelly Oubre Jr. helping Tyrese Maxi out because, you know, look, yeah. we, we all, we love Maxi, but we know that Maxi's not, he's not a guy yeah. right now. He's not a guy that's going to be able to go and just control a dominated game, right? He, yeah. He's not, this isn't, this isn't Luca. This isn't LeBron. This isn't, a guy like that, right? He's he he's, he's really good scorer, getting better at facilitating. He's he, but he's a smaller type guard. He's not going to be able to go and, and dominate. He's going to need help every night. And look for the Sixers to put up one twenty three against that team. And I didn't see that game at all, so I'm not exactly sure how it played out. I'm just looking at the numbers. I mean, you get twenty four out of Heel, twenty four out of Ubre, uh, Maxi with twenty two. So your you know your starters and 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 in 23 combined between Martin and Reed. So your your starters played
0: really well against an elite defensive team. Uh that's a big win for Philly. The Pacers fall to the Hornets. The Hornets had six players in double figures. Very impressive. The starting five plus Grant Williams off the bench Seth Curry off the bench as well. They picked up that win, and Miles Bridges twenty points, ten rebounds, seven assists, three steals. He continues to put up some pretty amazing box scores. Meanwhile, Halliburton played thirty four minutes. I believe that's the most since he's returned from his injury. But they drop another one. What's going on with the Pacers here?
1: Yeah, um, that's a that's a bad loss, man. Because you're not talking about a team in the Hornets. That's you know, obviously they have got twelve wins. They're not they're not trying to get up into you at this point in the year. Like they you know they're trying to figure out who they are. Now they've made some changes. They've gotten rid of some, some key pieces that were there. They're trying to figure out, like, what are we? What's the landscape for us going forward? You get the Pacers coming in, one of the more high-octane offenses in the league, and they get held to 102 points. They only took 33s in this game, which for them is a low number. Um, they had two offensive rebounds, so you're not giving yourself any margin of error to make up for it, you know, bad possession. You, you know, you get no second shots basically the entire game. It's a bad loss. There's no other way to put it. Um, you know, you had decent nights out of Siakam. Neesmith had a good line. Miles Turner had a good line. Halliburton, you know, 5 for 15, 12 assists, 13 points. So substandard for him, but still the way the rest of the starters played should have been enough. They got basically nothing out of their bench. Um, yeah. it, it's just a bad loss for Indiana. Um, you're not, you know, you're Indiana. You You get teams that are below you in the standings. You're going to have to win those games if you want to really get kind of stay in the mix there in the, in that middle pack of the Eastern Conference because you know you're going to have to play all those top teams. Uh, so take care of the bottom feeders when you get a chance. All you have to do is run against teams like that usually, and they're, you're going to be able to wear them out, and that didn't happen.
0: The other – got a couple more games I want to speed through here. The Mavs pick up another one, albeit a come-from-behind win against the Washington Wizards. Daniel Gafford, one of the quickest homecomings ever uh play or actually it was in dallas but playing against his former team in his second game with the mavericks and what do you know legs 16 points 17 rebounds seven offensive rebounds two games in a row where he's been a monster on the glass for them
1: yeah and, and i just man i just you know again i loved i loved it from the second it was announced i thought this yeah. was a major you nailed this one. and and he he's he's exactly what they need a bigger yeah. more athletic and and just, you know, hardworking big man that Luca's gonna fall in love with immediately. And 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 they said they knew Jason Kidd said this guy crushed us on the glass repeatedly. We played against him. We knew he'd give us that element, and he had seven offensive rebounds against his old team. Huge night.
0: Somebody in the comments of the last show said, I'm never telling Luca he's doing a great job. So I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Luke is doing a great job legs 26 points 11 <laughs> rebounds 15 assists he's pretty good uh let's go uh, we have two more quick ones I want to run through the Pelicans beat the Grizzlies 96 to 87 what is this 1988 legs what are we 1994 NBA two teams under 100 points uh didn't catch this game either but kind of surprised to see the Pelicans in, in this grinded out game the 96 87 you didn't
1: tell tell us what happened in the second half What's <laughs> because that? that's usually like that's like a halftime score yeah it, yeah that it, is actually you know, yep. in the league so you left something out there um that's weird That's a weird that's a weird uh stat line neither team obviously played very well offensively in the game uh but look sometimes as a coach i just know that like the way they think sometimes you win a game like this, as ugly as it may have been
0: yeah
1: you're kind of like wow that's kind of cool we could win a game like that when we didn't look totally. anywhere close to what we Uh, when we play well offensively, and we were still able to get the win. So that's about all you take out of that. And then you burn the film and you move on.
0: And then the last game, of course, the Spurs beating the Raptors. The really story here is just Victor Wimbanyama. We haven't talked about him in, like, I don't know, four shows. 27 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, 10 block shots. He did have seven turnovers and was 10 of 14 from the field. That stat line is absolutely insane. Yeah, and
1: it's, you know... He had he he had a long stretch of twenty point games and some thirty point games to finish up January, and then he he was like cooled off a little bit offensively at the beginning of the month. The first four games of this month, he didn't break twenty points, um, and now he's going back to back again. His rebounding numbers, though, consistently have been great. And and look, one of the things that fascinated us about him whenever when we first started getting wind of him and then watching more film on him and all that leading up to the draft was this this notion that you could have someone this skilled with this kind of size offensively with a handle and a three-point shot and ridiculous length in transition. That can also be a massive disruptor on the other end of the floor with his length and way he protects the rim. And, and then, you know, you get a game like that and you see what the upside is. And, like, when they ask Pop after one of these games, like, you know, Who else can do something like this he says nobody he only him
0: and and he might be right right now but but that kind of stat line all right i'm ready for i know it's early legs but i'm making a bold prediction that i feel unreasonably confident about victor Wembenyama, when it's all said and done will set an nba record for most quadruple doubles the current record is one so he only needs two he already got within five assists of this in his rookie season I mean it's not crazy like the 20 or the 10 and 10, 10 points 10 rebounds that's going to happen every game. Now you're just talking about how many games is he going to get 10 blocks, how many games is he going to get 10 assists. I think it happens at least twice in his career, especially in today's NBA where, you know, we're scoring 130 a night. I think he's going to get at least two quadruple doubles in his career. Well, I, I, okay, yeah, that, that okay, if you put it that way. I don't know, I don't
1: know how many you think he's going to end up with. How diff, But yeah, he only has to have more than one. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I By the way, we don't know this because I don't think, right, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't keep block shots like back right, in right, the day. Yeah. Yeah. Russell, those guys, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, I wonder if, since they started tracking it, has anybody
0: had a 30-20-10 game of, with blocks? Oh, that's an interesting one. Probably not because the list of 30-20-10 games is really low anyway.
1: Because I wonder if Olajuwon ever
0: did that. Um, but – uh if not
1: that's my prediction he'll have the he'll have the first 30 20 20 game 30 20 10 or 40 20 10. he could have (laughs) potentially
0: I could look this up in just a second here uh I'm trying to get it to 10 blocks here let me see because on you can filter this on stat head so I'm trying to get points you're saying 30 points rebounds you're saying 20 rebounds 20 boards 10 blocks 10 blocks. All right. In NBA history, playoffs or otherwise. And let's take a look here and see if it's ever happened. Twice, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Akeem Olajuwon. So Kareem did this on in November of 1975 against the Hawks. He finished with 39 points, 23 rebounds, five assists, 10 block shots. And then Akeem did this in 1989 against the Orlando Magic, 32 points, 25 rebounds, All 10 right. blocks. So there's the challenge because Kareem got the 39. There it is, 40-20-10.
1: Huh? That's the game I'm looking for out of Victor Wembanyama, and he will get there.
0: <laughs> I love I love how high we're setting the bar for him. <laughs> Set a record in quadruple doubles, maybe five-by-fives, and then a 40-20-10. Uh, legs, a great show, man. Um, we're off yeah, to a hot boy. start this week. The show keeps growing, and we appreciate that from everybody, especially on YouTube. It's growing. If you haven't subscribed already, do so hit that like button for us, leave a comment, let us know that you're enjoying the show, but perhaps the best thing you could do is share the show with people, you know, say, Hey, this is a show, whether it's on Reddit or Twitter or people, you know, in real life, just let them know, Hey, Tim Legler, Adam Mata, is there sharing insight on every game, passionate, following it. And then leave us a five-star rating on, on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Those also help people to discover our show legs, anything before we get out of here? No,
1: just remember. When you show up in this chat room, just have a little bit of reality about your own team. That's all. That's all I ask for. Because here we are unbiased, but we're unafraid, yeah. brother. So, so put your big yeah. boy pants on. But we love we love engaging with with everybody
0: yeah. in this chat, man. And we love we love carving it up with you. We we love the passion, man. A lot of passionate fans in the chat here. Thanks everybody. We're off tomorrow, but we are back on Thursday. We'll see you then. Y'all silly like the mayor.